Welcome to Highland Football Weekly with Ian Auld. Episode 10 is another lockdown episode this week. The UK is still in lockdown amid the coronavirus outbreak. So it's via the wonders of technology, FaceTime again, FaceTime audio for this week's guest. And this week's guest on episode 10 shares a lot of, uh, well there's a lot of similarities between Nick Ross last week on episode 9. Born and bred in Inverness, he's played in America and he has a Scottish Cup winner's medal to his collection. Unlike Nick, he's played for both Highland clubs, senior clubs anyway, albeit played for Ross County as a youngster. It's another goalkeeping special with Cali Thistle number one, Mark Ridgers. Now for me, the intention over the next couple of weeks is to continue doing the podcast because during the coronavirus outbreak, it's important that we get some sense of normality and a release. My release is getting to do these podcasts and put them together. And thanks again for everyone for listening and getting in touch. Whilst there's no football, this podcast gives you an hour or so away from your lockdown lifestyle and a release and a chance to listen to football stories and just get away from everything that's happening in the big bad world outside. So sit back and enjoy episode 10 with Mark Ridgers. Delighted to welcome Mark Ridgers. Mark Ridgers, how are you doing? Uh, not too bad, yes. Keeping sane at the moment, so but it's, it's, it's quite difficult in these circumstances, but no, I'm doing all I can do. Mark, you've obviously, you guys have stopped training now for the last couple of weeks. It's been a difficult couple of weeks for everyone involved, uh, but I saw some nice images on social media. I think yourself, Robo, one or two of your Cali Thistle colleagues out um, helping in the community, uh, dropping off care parcels and things like that. So you've still been in, still been involved. Yeah, it was. It was. I got a, a phone call from Scott Gardner when I was funnily enough. I was jet, jet washing my slabs and I was trying to keep myself busy. And then <laughs> I was to go down to the stadium and obviously people have like kindly donated food and like stuff to the to the club to be given out. So we were me, James Keaton's and a manager went in the minibus driving around sort of Inverness area and stuff, giving out to the the elderly uh, season ticket holders of the club and people that have been associated with the club for, for many years. So, you know, it was a really, really nice thing to do and it's the least we could do as well because, mm-hmm. you know, some of the people have been supporting the club since since his birth, really. So it was really, really, like, nice to do and I think, you know, just seeing the people's faces when we were turning up at the door and, uh, you know, how happy they were and just the shock in it as well. It was a really nice thing to do and, you know, it's nice for us to give something back to the, the community. Yeah, it was a really nice... Nice gesture, but you're right, I think the, the, the main thing is, you know, when the people who support the team are in need of support themselves, the, the football team are there to support them, which I think is a brilliant thing. Yeah, I think especially like for us, it's, you know, I think the big thing, especially the last two years, because this is coming into the, the end of my, my first season at Cali, so it's been one of those, but I think trying to get back into the community and getting people back in the, in the gate to watch us and support us and doing little things like that, yes, obviously it's... You know, the, the circumstances aren't great for, for the reasoning doing, but they've been doing trying to do a lot of things to get the, the younger supporters and keeping the supporters that we have, you know, sort of on side because I think Inverness itself, previously, if you look back to the success that the clubs have, they've had a, a, good, a good fan base sort of turning out every so often, but it seems to have disappeared over the last few years, which, you know, it's quite, you know, it's quite sad, but in terms of us trying to get them back in, obviously, results on the pitch. We've been trying our best over the last this season especially, but, you know, see circumstances out of our hand could take that away from us, but 
as long as it's, it's still sort of doable, we're going to still try and achieve promotion, which hopefully brings more supporters through the door. The club are doing this out of the, the kindness of their own hearts and, and those involved, but I hope personally when, when all this is over and we get back to normality and we get back to football and things like that, I hope that that the people in the city that perhaps haven't supported the club in the past or, or taken much interest actually you know, notice this and say, hang on, you know, let's let's go support them because, you know, they've, they've done wonderful things on the park and also off the park as well and it's about time that gets uh, recognised. Ah, yeah, because I think the big thing as well, obviously, I think a lot of people might end up realising that seeing a Saturday going out to watch Cali, it's not that bad, especially when they've been stuck in their houses for as long as they have, you know, <laughs> so, you know, that could be one thing as well that could go our favour, but like you said, yeah, it's not really about the club, it's the, the thing that what they're doing at the moment and what we've been doing recently is just more or less giving back something to, to the community as you said because like we're you know the only sort of senior team in the city as well obviously with Clark but it's still we're trying to just you know sort of create give something a little bit back because like over the years you know as I said the, the people have there have there's, there's diehard supporters and there's no denying that you know you meet them in the street you see them all the games and stuff the ones that travel and you, you take your hat off to them because I think you know the amount of miles that away fans travel and all that stuff as well I think sometimes it goes a bit unnoticed so as I said for the club to be able to just sort of give something small back even like as small as it is what we did and we'll keep, and continue to keep doing as well it's really important that we can just sort of show, show as a city you know that we're, we're, we're behind the city and as I said it'd be nice hopefully now if we can get a few more people through the gate to, to sort of help us out as well Mark I'm going to start um, the podcast by ironically taking you across the bridge um, to Ross County because um, that's where you started your career um, as a as a as a youngster at Ross County. I want to talk first of all just about your your family setup because you're a goalkeeping family. How was that growing up in a in a house full of goalkeepers? I know it's quite it's quite a strange one because the reason I'm a goalkeeper is because of Ali. Because okay. obviously at the time when I started playing street league and stuff up at the Milton pitches, um, my brother Ali was at the Scottish Skillseekers and it's funny speaking uh, listening to Ike's podcast and that he mentions it as well. But yeah, they were. He was in at Cali in the full-time setup, so when I played street league, I kind of played just outfield, and then one of the boys had got injured or something, and it was uh, Victor Leslie at the time, who was a manager of the Merckensch team, was like, oh, you can go on goals, because, you know, your brother's in goal, so we can go give it a shot, and then funnily enough, from, from that moment, and then after, I ended up just sticking, playing in goals, and it was really, really strange how it happened. And then that was me. I was I've got a goalkeeper, and I think I was going to be when I was like thirteen, maybe thirteen, fourteen, really. And then, okay, okay. And then obviously, like my brother and uh, William, William's a goalkeeper. He's the one. He was um, he ended up playing Highland League for like Strasbourg and uh, played at Clark for a bit. And then my brother Wayne's the only one that actually never. He's he's a darts player, which is one of my other hobbies I do. So I play I play for a darts team on a on a Thursday night down at the Ennis Bar sometimes. So. You know, I like to keep myself busy, but yeah, my, my older brother sort of influenced me becoming a goalkeeper. So you mentioned there about thirteen, fourteen. So how did the Ross County? Uh, how did how did the Ross County connection come about then? Did the day spot you playing street league and then and take you over to their setup? How did that come about? Yeah, it was. It was like I said, it was really strange because it was real. Just sort of finished that street league season, and we were quite a decent team to be fair. Like we ended up winning the first division, the All in Cup, and. Uh, there was another cup as well, the first division cup, sorry. So we won all the trophies, so we are quite a decent team. And then from that, I think nine of us, um, eight of them went, um, sorry, seven of them 
seven of our team went to Cali on trial, okay. and then me and me and a boy Michael Finnis, who's the clock clock captain now, yep. we ended up going to Ross County because Victor Leslie, like Tubby, who was our coach, was our community coach at Ross County as well. So he was okay, sort of pushing okay. us to go there. So me and Michael went over there for the trial, and then when I got there, funnily enough, you still Jackie Sutherland was still like sort of recruiting for a Cali, and he kept phoning my brother Ali to tell him kind of like to get me to go to Cali so you know it could have been completely different for me if I ended up going there but nah I went to Ross County for a, for a trial and then the thing I always remember this I was like it was literally they were doing spells of like 30 minutes so it was three 30 minutes in a 90 minute game and they were rotating the squad and I wasn't starting this another goalkeeper had started and then I got on like sort of halfway in the second period so I went on for like 15 minutes really and then that had finished and then it was, uh, I'm sure it was Neil McIntosh and Graham Sutherland who were in charge at the time. Mm-hmm. Recruitment at County, and then he just said, oh, that's enough. Like, to me, that's enough that you can come off. So I'd only played 15 minutes, and the other goalie had played down at, like, 45, and then there was another boy who had played the whole, sort of, 60 minutes. And so I thought to myself, oh, oh, well, obviously, that's me done then. But then, as talked to be, I got a letter through the door a few days, like, a couple of days later, asking if I'd be, like, happy to go and sign... Like got along with my mum and signed into the youth initiative program that they had going there because at the time it was when they started building the, the academy there. Yeah. So you know straight away I was just it was quite of a shock because I didn't think that I was, I was going to get picked after playing just fifteen minutes. So whatever I did, but I can't even remember how it, <laughs> what, what I did. But whatever I did, I did something right. And then you know I was there for a few years, like literally it was when I was maybe fourteen. And then, but I ended up playing under seventeens. So I'd always played a couple of years above me because I was quite like a, was quite a big boy at that age as well, which could probably help, you know. So I then started playing years like a couple of years above me, and then it was sort of when I was fifteen, I was involved when some of the managers took me in during them school holidays and stuff. So I was in and around the first team, and Robo, funnily enough, was one of them as well, one of the managers at the time. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then it was one night. It was, it was just, I got called into the office and they asked, this was, I was only 15 at the time as well, if I had any plans on it staying in school or not and staying on at school, but I didn't, you know, I wanted to leave school and for, for weeks on end, I, I was in my mum's ear telling her that I hated it and I just wanted to leave school. She kept telling me, oh, what are you going to be and what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, but I'll find something. So they basically said, like, what were the plans? And then... I said to them, well, obviously, like, I, I didn't have any plans. And then they were like, well, we want to offer you, a, like, a full-time contract here. Would you be of interest? But obviously, I'd been 15, and I had to go and, like, speak to my mum. So then, and it was also real for me, because I'd only been in the youth set for, like, maybe two and a half years, three years. So it just happened all so quick. And then I was just like, oh, okay. So I, I remember running down, like, it was in the Astro, at the back of Dingwall, where they've got the Astro turn. So I remember, that it was a Thursday night, so I've run in, got my phone, and I phoned my mum up, and then... She was like, oh, what, what, what are you doing? And I was like, oh, listen, I've just been offered a full-time contract so I can leave school. And then to quote her words, well, she was like, she was like, fuck off, no way. And I said, I swear, I swear to God, I swear to God. And she said, no, you're not, you're lying. Because, like, literally that week we were talking about me leaving school. Wow, okay, so really yeah. then it was, well, obviously it's fate, isn't it? You know, that those things happen for a reason, you know? Yeah, and then it was just like, my mum was like, well, like, because she obviously understood a little bit and because my brother Ali had been at Cali in similar circumstances that he had yep. been signing with Cali but he had kind of went there and then it never really worked out for him and he had left and went to Clark she kind of she was quite weary of that because she was obviously he had like the disappointment of not making like into the first team as much well he did make it to the first team but like not being playing and stuff and yep. got to the point where he moved on because he wasn't 
so she was a bit like are you sure you want to do this and stuff so but listen I was 15 years old getting to play football full time as well so you know for me it was just it was an easy option to sign for him so yeah it was it was, it was all crazy how it kicked off now time time scale wise you're probably around about the time well about that time Robbo you mentioned Robbo there so Robbo was in um, Scott Leach comes in yeah well he was a, he was the manager when I became like my first year as professional um, okay. Scott was appointed the manager and then George Adams was director of football you're looking at probably what 2007 you, you, you leave Ross County but I think if I remember rightly around about that time there was correct me if I'm wrong but Gary Mackay Stevens was there as well um, yeah he obviously got a you know the big move to Liverpool. There was, there was a there was a rumor. Um, it was a young boy, Gervin. Yeah, Graham Gervin. Graham yeah. Gervin. That was it. Yeah. He, he was there was I think Bolton were looking at him. There was yeah, a, well, there was a host of big clubs looking around the county youngsters. You know. Yeah, well, like my first year full time, it was weird because I didn't really play. So when I went in with the nineteen score, Joe Mallon was a goalkeeper. So obviously when I went to Ross County, like it was the first time. Like it was, it was, it was crazy because, like I said, that me from street league to professional was a few years, and when signing at county, it was like it was weird because I ended up making my debut the day before my birthday, when I was only fifteen. So that story is like that's crazy as well because when I, like, I got a phone call, but I was actually at my, was at my my wife now. She was my girlfriend at the time's house. I got a phone call saying, "County, you're playing for on the CIA. It was a CIS cup, and I got a, a phone call saying, "Oh, listen." Like Joe's injured, can you? We need you to come sit on the bench because at the time it was Craig Sampson, Joe Marlin, and myself. So they were like, "Ah, oh, we need you to come sit on the bench because Joe's injured and like you never got through training and all." That. And I said, "Yeah, it's fine." So I started passing. Wait a minute, what, what what's going on? So my mum came and picked me up and she dropped me off at the game and she says, "I don't want me to stay for the game." And I was like, "No, no, it's fine. I'm only on the bench." And then literally the first time ever appearing on the bench, about half time maybe, it comes. Sammy gets a a knock. And then it was like, how are you? And he said, I'm all right. And then about 10, 15 minutes into the game, in the second half, he started struggling a little bit. And I'm like, like and everyone's sort of like, oh, he's struggling. And Scotland's <laughs> like, you big man, go warm up. So I'm like, what? And he's like, go, just go, like, get me down the side, keep yourself warm. So I actually stood up, ran down the touchline, because the bench at Dingwall, is they swapped it. So it used to be the one on the left. Right, okay, yeah, so I've yeah. Went, I've went, yeah. I've went to go and I went to run and then straight away all I heard was, nah, big man, big man, back, back. Just get ready, you're going on, he's done. I'm looking at the clock and I'm like, how long is it? And then I was trying to get like, shaking, trying to put my gloves on, like shit myself, pure shit myself. Like, What's going on here? And then he's like, then I think they put the board up and then Sammy starts coming on and I remember him saying like, listen, just go and enjoy it. So we're, we're free one at the time. We're free one up, so I'm like, Twenty minutes to go, right? That's fine. I should be all right. And then just as I'm coming on the pitch, Jerry Britton, the at the time the turnaround manager, and all I heard was, "Just lock balls on this big bastard." <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, "Oh no, that's shit in my pants." I'm running on to the which is now the like the indoor sort of. Ah, the, acad- the academy and I. Yeah, so I've run onto that and I'm in the mirror, but there's no fans, like no turnaround fans or anything. They don't have this. It's not the stand at the time. It's the standing area. Ah, like a terrace. So yeah, oh. I'm on there, and here we go. Oh, Jesus. And then all I remember, I think it was Craig Gunn. Somebody scores for us straight away, so we go four one up. So I'm like, whew, I'm a sigh of relief. And then you know the board goes up for the the ninety minute, like the added on time, and I thought, oh, here, right, actually, it wasn't too bad. Well, ball comes in, cross, bang, boy scores for us, so I was pretty gutted at that. But like the whole thing, just straight after us. 
you know, like what's just happened there? And then I was informed after the game that I became the youngest ever player to play for the club at 15. And like the surreal thing was, my birthday was the next day, so I was just about to turn 16. So Brilliant. it was it was absolute mayhem. But yeah, it was it was, it was crazy, crazy times. Like I'm sure that that moment, that experience, you know, half an hour, however long it may be, gave you a taste of wanting more. You know, you wanted more, more action. Yeah. Oh yeah, when it happened, as you said, it was weird because then we go through the 19 season. I dropped back to the 19 when Joe was fit, and then Joe plays the entire season basically. 19, so I played one game, I think it was, but we ended up winning the league. It was weird. We actually we won all our games. We just lost one. We didn't draw, so we ended up winning that league, and we got to the quarter final of the Scottish Youth Cup as well, where we ended up playing Hibs, I think it was, and Hibs put us out. So they may get knocked out, and like you said, from that, interesting, a couple of our younger players, like Gary McKay, Stephen, and sort of been on the bench and started performing like right so it was like Gaz even to this day like in comparison age wise he was incredible he was so so good and you know and it was just a shame like what happened to him but then he went to Liverpool and then me and Graham me and boy Graham Gurnall who was a right back we sort of we were meant to go to France we were meant to go to La Harve because um, Karim Bukhara who used to play Roscani yep yep he was an agent at the time so me and him were, were t- went to go there but they ended up changing their manager and they wanted to delay it then the Bolton one was we were meant to go both down to go to Bolton as well so I don't know if it's from that then all of a sudden Hearts and then George Adams is like pulled me in the office and he put a list down there was, there was teams there there was like Hearts, Celtic Bolton, Le Harvey he's like all these teams are interested in you and at the, t- and at the time Romanov had just bought Hearts so like Hearts had just won a Scottish Cup in 2006 so the Lithuanian sort of and Joe's funnily enough Joe Mallon's granddad's Lithuanian so I was like I think I got the wrong goalkeeper here because there was all these Lithuanian players I was like so yeah and then George was like would you like to go down to Hearts and then so I went to Celtic for a week and then I didn't really enjoy it there and then, but they wanted me to go back down to train with the first team goalkeeper coach was uh, Jim Blythe and then they wanted me to go and train there but then I went to Hearts and at the time Hearts had um, like Craig Gordon was still there and then Jim Stewart was the, the goalkeeping coach yeah. who also was the Scotland national goalie coach. So for me, like it was a week, as soon as I went to Hearts, I was training with Craig Gordon who at the time was at the peak and you know, somebody nice. watched all the Scotland time. number one, wasn't he? Yeah, he was incredible. And then obviously they had like, um, like Robbie Nielsen was there, Elvis was, well, he was just about to, to sort of leave, I think, at the <laughs> time. But Scatchall, you know, like then it was, it was, it was these players, you're thinking, oh, this is incredible. And I was training with them. You know, it was only, and at the time I was still 16, about to turn 17. You know, at 17, sorry. And then I was like, this is, this is, this is incredible. So then Hearts, and, and whatever, it's like, as I said, completely made an offer for me and then it was accepted and then I decided to, to go down and to, to sign for Hearts, yeah. So what age, what, what we're talking there, your, your sign of Hearts? I uh, signed for Hearts in 2007, so I would have been 17 turning 18 okay. in August. So yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was all, like a whole... As I said, we could have, do our own thing. Hearts was like the, whole, the experience for the seven years or the seven and a half years I was there. It was, it was, it was, um, it was crazy. But it was, um, it was probably set me for that my football career to yeah. not to literally. I ex, anything unexpected happens. I'm like, well, no, I've seen it all before. <laughs> and like the story, the story, the stories you can tell is incredible. Like the club was just absolute. It was a circus. It was brilliant. It was so good to be involved with. But looking on the outside, everyone was just like. You know, like you've seen the headlines from Romanov headlines, and it. it was it was it was absolutely it was mayhem. But it was being inside it was even better because you you tell stories and people just don't believe you. And you know, it's you're just like no, seriously, you've got no idea. 
Yeah, like you say, Romanov uh, coming at heart, 2005, and I think things started to reach ahead. Probably the time of you you arrive at the football club from well, it's inc- quite, quite an incredible five years, really, um, from a 13 year old, you know, knocking about in the Milton pitches in Inverness, to then five years on uh, moving to the capital to to turn out for. I'm going to be biased here. The biggest country, the biggest football club in the country, um, but uh, that's just me, my opinion. I mean, moving to Edinburgh from the Highlands, that a bit of a, a scary thing for you? Yeah, it was. It was one of the, the big things for me. Like in terms of at the time, as I said, I was only 17. So when I first kind of went down there, like if the, when I first signed with them, it was my, me and my mum went down. I didn't have an agent at the time because obviously, you know, I just came from Ross County, and the, the deal actually was boy Alan Preston who does. Quite a yeah. commentary stuff and up yeah. for Hearts, so he was he was my advisor really, just basically saying like Hearts are going to give you this, or he should give you this, and in terms of wages and all that stuff. So and everything he had told me, and this is this, everything he said, like Hearts, it was a lot more. Like it was it was it was incredible. Like when I was at Ross County, I was getting forty nine pound fifty a week. The fifty p came off for the meals, <laughs> <laughs> and then you know, and then straight away I went to Hearts, and then when the contract came, and straight away they were giving me like two hundred fifty pound a week at seventeen. And it was like they'd bought me, so I got a percentage of the fee as well. You know, it was, it was the money was stupid. Like they had a Romanian kid there at the time, Dimitri Kopel. Yes. And this guy, yeah, this guy's running around, and he was on like five hundred pound a week. And his parents, they like they were bought a house in Romania, or supposedly for his parents, like Romanov and that. And then because he was tipped as the, the next wonder kid, they kind of had him down as a yeah, the next Haji. If you like, yeah, yeah. If you, yeah so. But I'll tell you, he was far from that. The guy was incredible. He was technically very, very good. And he trained a bit, but it's, it's like not his attitude. Just in terms, yeah, his attitude probably is. Like the guy would eat a whole packet of wagon wheels and drink it and down it with a two-litre bottle of Coke. Honestly, the guy was, was so much ability, but he just like he didn't care. But then the other point of it was that, was that he came from like a gypsy family, so was that it? I don't know. But anyway, it was, it was like mm-hmm. stories like that when you, you try and tell people and they can't understand why. So, yeah, but yeah, I went down to to like Edinburgh where my mum initially like hard to put us in the Dalmahoy, you know. So big, so that's a, that's a very um, it's a big posh, big posh hotel. Yeah, a big posh hotel in Edinburgh, which goes to show you like the money that they had. I think they literally don't say enough more money than cents because that's one thing they definitely did have at the time. And then, so I was there, and then I ended up staying with a family in the area, Collington area of Edinburgh, mm-hmm. where I got because I couldn't drive at the time, so I was like learning to drive. I got a bus, but then I was very lucky because my like my wife, well, my little girlfriend at the time, Emma, she was um, deciding where to go to college and that. So in Edinburgh was one of the options. So she went to college. Right. Okay. So we ended up getting a a little flat together. So she stayed in halls to begin with, and then a couple obviously ended up. I stayed the majority time there, like with her. But then we ended up getting a flat together when we were eighteen, and then we've been living together ever since. But. I think having her down, like, it did help massively in terms of just sort of settling and stuff, because yeah. I was only there for a few months myself before she came. You know, so it, didn't, it would have been maybe a little bit scarier if I was on my own for a bit longer, because, like you said, going from Inverness to Edinburgh, like, I love Edinburgh as a city now. I always said if I ever was to move from Inverness and live somewhere else, Edinburgh would definitely be on the list. Yep. Well, as a Edinburgh boy myself, I've done it the, the other way around. I moved to Inverness and... Uh, it's uh, completely completely different, but uh, that's a, a long story for another day. In terms of you know football wise, um, you, you obviously as a you know as a kid at Hearts, obviously you mentioned there. There's there was a, a, a list of goalkeepers there: Craig Gordon, Steve Banks must have been at the football club at the time. Yeah, Banks was there. Probably yeah. a couple of um, 
Lithuanian goalkeepers, if I remember, serves me right. Edward Kurskis might Kurskis was in there. Honestly, the scariest looking guy you've ever met. I I wouldn't say boot a fly, honestly. I only remember him for one reason, and one that was one reason only. He 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 once was in a game against Cali Thistle actually uh, years ago, and he uh, I think he got sent off late on. I think well, Cali Thistle won the game three two, and Lee Wallace had to go and goals because Hearts has used all their subs, and it just probably typified. Hearts at that stage, it was a kind of crazy, I think you mentioned circus, and that's probably the best way to describe it. Um, Football-wise, though, you're obviously, um, as I mentioned, a couple of goalkeepers in front of you in the queue in terms of first team and things like that. You go out on loan, um, East Fife and Airdrie. G- good experiences at both those clubs? Uh, yeah, I, like I, the East Fife one, I was I was only 18, turning 19 when this like, like came. It was Stephen, uh, Stephen Crawford, who's a Dunfermline manager now, mm-hmm. he was a manager. So I ended up, like, they know the emergency loan. Yep. So whatever had happened, one of their goalkeepers got injured. So it was I got the opportunity to go there, and I only played like four, four or five games if I remember right. And then I was I was taken back by Hearts because at the time, like you said, there was um, Jamie McDonald because Banksy had left. Banksy left. Craig had also went to Sunderland for like nine million or whatever it was. Big Eddie, he had left. Like God knows what happened to him. He was just one of those that came for a bit and then left. Then Marion Kelo was brought in from mm-hmm. Kaunas. Mm-hmm. And then Janos Balog, when Chabalazlo became the manager, he was brought in. So I was like you said, I was always round about maybe three or sort of fourth fourth choice, really. So uh, And then but Shaba, when Chabalazlo was the manager, he had this big thing of having three goalkeepers. So East Fife at the time wanted me to stay on and keep playing. But he was like, no, like, I need him back kind of thing. So I went back and then the following season, I ended up joining Air- Airdrie. Had sort of I don't know if they got relegated, but whatever it was, when I they had they had no team. The, Jimmy Boyle was a manager, and they had to make up basically a brand new team of players and stuff. So I ended up going there for the whole season. Initially it was six months, but I went there and I really enjoyed my time there because I was playing like as a first choice. So that was the first time I'd experienced playing yeah. like sort of back to back games, and then I ended up playing like 35, 36 games for them. And then it was one of those where. You learn the game as a goalkeeper a lot quicker playing senior level than you do youth because you've got, yes, there wasn't thousands of fans there, but in terms of people in the crowd and, you know, if you're making a mistake or you're doing something wrong, the couple of hundred people, especially in Airdrie, and the stadium's massive, <laughs> it just echoes around you, so people are screaming and shouting you, so you've got to man up quickly. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, like, sort of character, it's a massive test. So. But no, I really enjoyed it at Airdrie and, like, I had the opportunity to stay there again. But, Funnily enough, um, John Orson was the manager East Fife. East Fife, yeah. Come, I think it was about 2011, 12, maybe. Mm-hmm. And then he was before he got that job was in around Hearts doing like as a striker coach and stuff. And so I kind of got a sort of set up a little sort of connection with him because he was living in Inverness and he was still living in Inverness. So we became quite pally in that way in terms of him being around at the club. And he was got the East Fife job and wanted me to go and play for him. East Fife, so straight away because I'd gone really well with him, having met him through Hearts and stuff, I ended up going back to East Fife for that fall for the that season, and until the sort of I think it was halfway through the season. So then I got called back to Hearts, but then say that time with Robbo, probably most famous one was when we knocked out Aberdeen in the cup. Aberdeen, I wanted to speak to you about that one. Yeah, I think Robbo. It's funny. I remember when Robbo. Um, 
I was still at Cali Thistle when, when you signed just before I, I left the club and I remember Robbo um, saying that he'd, he'd signed your cell and you know he was obviously you know talking up your, your credentials and, and things like that and he, he spoke about that East 5 game and you know he mentioned the penalty shooter victory you, you, you draw 3 all in the League Cup against Aberdeen at Pataudry uh, a really kind of famous cup win and and, and, and massive credit to, to Robbo because he you know he was obviously still showing folk that he's you know he's he's, he's still a very good manager and, and causing a, a big upset for East Fife that day you obviously played a pivotal part in that game talk to us about the the game itself quite a crazy game three all and then the penalty shootouts you're one of the stars of the stars of the show yeah like that game alone I think this is that kind of put you know sort of myself and a little bit out there with it with like in the press wise as well because it was you know we just sort of round about just outside the playoffs and stuff well top four I don't know if it's playoffs back then week five for me but doing alright in the league but then we came to this game sort of early doors against Aberdeen and like I said the game was mental I ended up 3-3 like I said and we scored to go I don't know to go 1-0 up I think and then I went 1-1 I think I went 2-1 then 2-2 then we scored 3-2 then funnily enough ex-Carlisle a big hizzy give away a penalty in the 90 like 90, I think it was the 90th minute and then they score that and then it goes to like extra time and then it just goes into penalties and then you just say to yourself oh can I go you know can I save one but then like I just I saved the first two and we'd scored the first two so in my head I'm thinking oh that's brilliant and then I remember it was a big um, oh, what do you call him big boy David Gonzalez big goalkeeper Aberdeen had at the time from Man City on loan so he then saves like our next two and then the Aberdeen score and I was like oh here we go again so then we scored I think it was boy Matthew Park scores and then it was, um, the, is it Chris Clark left? Yeah. Chris Clark? Yep. Yeah, played at Aberdeen. Up he comes. I, did, I didn't, I just, was every, every penalty I went to my left. And then this one I just decided, I'm going to go my right. And I went to my right and I saved it. And then I didn't realise we had won. So I'm kind of just like lying and I, I look up and it was just like everyone's <laughs> running towards me. I'm like, are we won kind of thing? And then straight away the buzz and like the adrenaline during like, during the celebrations after and then funnily enough we were off the next day so I drove back to Inverness because Emma like she was at the game as well so I just drove back to Inverness and I just remember driving back and my phone was going mental just text messages like people like my mum and my, my brothers are phoning me and everything because you know that's the first time I'd experienced sort of that sort of publicity in terms of like and everyone because you had done something like that good and you don't realise the magnitude of magnitude how big it was until after when it was like the first time he'd reached the, the quarterfinals of the League Cup in like 70 odd years and you know we went out the, the next game I think the next game actually played at Bayview and we ended up getting hammered they were still clapping as if I still clapped us off the pitch because of that <laughs> what we had done but yeah yeah, like that was the first sort of experience of, of like you knowing you're a senior football like I said like when, there's winning games but there's winning as a goalkeeper there's ways to win a game yeah. and I think a penalty shootout was definitely up there and then from that penalty shootout apart from the Peter Head one which <laughs> I'm trying to talk about after my, my miss but then like with Cali I, I've won every penalty shootout that I've been involved in so you know it's, it's, it's crazy how it just sort of goes from that so I've always had that you know that sort of from that game kind of like changed sort of how I felt about playing football and like the, the, what, what, how you can feel as a goalkeeper after certain games What is, what is it with penalties I mean, that, I mean in fact I watched the the Hibs um, Cali Thistle quarter final a few weeks ago and I remember sitting in the house my wife was obviously doing something you know when I was watching the game and I said they'll save this 
you know, I, I just knew that um, it was who was it? Paul Hamlin took the penalty, and I just I knew you would save it because you've got that kind of you've got that knack of penalties. What what is it with penalties in your cell? Sometimes you can you can see obviously especially nowadays you know you're watching YouTube or you see highlights of games people where they want to go and stuff. I've always got this thing in my head if I go the right way then it's got to be a good penalty to beat me because like you know I'm six foot three and I can get across the goal kind of thing. So you, you, you try your best to maybe like sort of give them a like the Paul Hanlon one. I'd played with Paul Hanlon. I've played with him at uh, Scotland under twenty ones. So we, I, I knew that he's either going to smash it down the middle. Or possibly go to my left, but then I always went like that. The hips game, for instance. So I'm, I'm saying to myself, stay up as long as I can. If not, like just do a slight to my left and try and save it with my feet. Because I think I, like if I've done a couple of that where I've gone just past it, but I've ended up kicking the ball and saving my feet. And then Keatsy, like James Keaton's, is on the edge of the eighteen, pointing, like, say, go to your left, go to your left. So when I seen that, it kind of assured me, right, that's where I'm going to go. So. So East Fife, big moment being Aberdeen. I think you, you you pointed out there that you you spend half the season there. You're you're back at Tynecastle now. As I mentioned when I phoned you earlier, this is probably the part of the the podcast that I could talk on all night because that season ends with you again uh, uh, involved in a, a cup competition. This time at Hamden Scottish Cup final, you're on the bench watching Hearts pump. Hibernian five uh, one. There's, the, there's the right no, there's no easier way of saying it. I mean that what a what an end. Because um, because you, you you've obviously experienced first team football at the start of that season. You you go on and make your Hearts debut at the end of that season, and then you you're involved uh, in the in the Scottish Cup final squad. Talk to us about your your climax to that season because that must must have been tremendous. Yeah, like I said, the whole the whole experience. At heart was was like was crazy. So it's now, as you say, we're getting to that point where there's a a little bit of stability. Because the first few years when I was there, was like they were changing managers. There was managers left, right, and centre. There was players coming in the doors of people didn't even know who they were. Even the managers didn't know who the players were. So then, come obviously, I get back after these five spell, and then Shavalazlo, um he's gone. So then Paulo Sergio's in, and then he's like um. He, they're doing well I think they were sort of middle of the road in the league if not yeah. for a minute, you know, like fourth or fifth yeah. so I turn up and I sit on the bench and then the, my first game being back was uh, the game against Auchinleck in the Scottish Cup yep, God at Tancastle where yeah. we actually nearly lost that game which yeah. is incredible like we played them and they're to be fair we've had chances and then big, uh, Gordon Smith uh, no Fraser Malinez I think Fraser gets a start he misses a penalty and then it takes uh, is it Goxie, like Gordon yeah. Smith scores yeah. and we end up winning 1-0 that's right and then from that you know to think after that game that was going on in the cup was, was mental and then like for myself so I'm involved in all the games and I started being on the bench at Celtic Park and then you know as you said you went to Tawdry and then I ended up making my debut against St Johnston away so and then I come on at half time Jamie McDonald gets injured and then I come on so for straight away that was a, like a big massive tick in my box because when I signed for Harks obviously I would the, the dream was to, to play for Hearts as you said it's a, it, people on the outside 
might look at it as a as a biggish club, but the, the club's massive. You know, in terms of like the fan base and the size of it, and when you're in Edinburgh, what it means to people, like a massive club. So to be able to go and play for them in a first team game, and then to go and play a couple more as well, for me it was it was brilliant because I went there as a boy to to play for them, and then I done the, I done the way that you wanted to do it, where you go on loan, you get the experience and stuff. And we do all that, and then as you said, the uh, the semi final. For me, the semi final was better than the final in terms of how it was done. Yeah. So we go to the you know, everyone knows about if we get the, the penalty late on and beat, beat his scores uh, and we go mad and, you, you know, we're, the, what I remember the most is the the, the, the second semi-final, we were in on a Sunday. So Paulo Sergio used to have you, if you had played on a Saturday or a Sunday, you'd be in the next day, no matter what. And he was big on, like, listen, if you go and, like, get drunk, he says, go and celebrate with your families, do that, he says, but just, you know, just report. So they go through a cool-down. So he was big on that. And we were on, um, Hibs were playing... Who were Hibs playing in this? I can't even remember who played in the other semi. The, um, oh, no. Aberdeen. It was Aberdeen, I. Yeah, well, whatever. So we were we changed our training time to train while that game was on. Okay. So we didn't know who we were playing because obviously the mad, the build-up was this could be Hearts Hibs final, first one ever. You know, the way the, the season was going, you know, they were struggling a little bit. We were doing all right. And then, you know, we were obviously going sort of through that spell where nobody knew what was going on with Romanov because was he coming or was he going? And then, we then find out Hibs win, so you know everyone's just like, "Here we go!" And then straight away, papers like the record and where we trained. As soon as the, the following Tuesday, we could, we go back to the training. We go back to training, and there's hundreds of cameras because it's, I don't know if you've been, but Harry Watt, it's quite open if you go in the university around the back bit of the grass fields where we train. Yeah. So there was people there, and there was like cameras there, and there was TV cameras. Everyone wanted from then on to sort of follow us in terms of like the build up to the final because it was that big and then in the street like you couldn't go anywhere people like people like shouting at me and like come on like you better beat those highway bastards well and you're thinking how does this guy know who I am kind of thing but that's it became like that it became so big and as a player you try not to think about it because you knew the outcome if we had lost that final I think the, ma- the majority of players probably would have had to just quit Mm-hmm. Or not, you know, like the foreign players. It, it took the one thing I remember as well. I remember Big Zal Yukis was the captain at the time. Yeah. And I am like, as we said, Zal was the captain, and Big Webby was there as well, and Big, like Andy Webster. But the, these boys were like the the week to the final. So we played at the league, and then the week to the final was like they had sat the dressing room down and basically were telling the boys like this is what it means to get it in their heads because Hibs I think went away abroad before the final to train okay, and okay. then came back Yeah, but we didn't Paolo was like no we don't do that he says listen we just take this as a normal game and then he kept saying it if we turn up do the things we have to do and what we can't do we'll win and he kept saying that and obviously as a manager you want you can understand that but turns out he was right because you, <laughs> you say the day at Hamden this was, was absolute mayhem like the, I remember when we are getting ready to go out we're in the, the hotel in Glasgow and we stayed there the night before and then Jamie McDonald just looks and I was in the room with him and he just said to me, he was like, Fuck. he said, we can't lose this. He says, we cannot lose this. And I was like, listen, it's your, it's up to you. I said, you keep your ball in the net. I think we got a chance. So, you know, and then we all, as the game goes on, you know, it's just, it's just what, what, like what happens, happens and I think everyone knows about it. But it was, the third goal is the one I remember the most, the penalty. 
Yeah, Danny Rangers. Yeah, so like, at half-time, you're, you're out. The goalie coach at the time we had was Boy Alan Carswell, which I'll, I'll always remember. And during the whole time I came back, from January up to the Cup final, at half-time, not once did he ever come out and warm up. He would always go, like, oh, just go and do your own thing. So I'd be out kicking the ball around at half-time with the boys or doing the stuff with the sports scientist boy. And in the cup final, just before half time, I get myself up to go into the dressing room. He said, No, 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 stay out, we're going to do something. <laughs> so he's out, because it's the Hamden in the cup final, he's out. But he spent a whole 50 minutes just waving at his family in the crowd. And <laughs> I'm sitting there, like, standing with, standing with the ball, going, like, What are we meant to do here? But yeah, so then I've gone in, as we finished the warm up, I've gone in. And if you're going to Hamden, the tunnel, you take a left, and it's quite a little, it's a, like, a little, quite a distance to the, to the dressing room, to the tunnel. So I've gone in and there's wine gums and there's all that sweeties and stuff. So I'm doing what most subs do. I'm sitting there eating, like, putting stuff in my pocket. So I started walking back out and as I turned to, like, you come into the, the dressing room and you come out a wee door and you come to, like, a sort of corridor and then you turn right into the, the tunnel. So I've come, I've heard a massive roar. And I've, like, oh, oh, in my head, I'm, oh, shit, they've scored. So I've started to run out and as I ran out, it's um, your man Parker Jabby walking off the pitch mm-hmm. and I'm like I'm looking to the, and i seen it and I realised it's a penalty so Danny's got the ball and I'm just sort of running up the steps and I was like do I sit down here or not so I just sat and I was sitting next to the boy Scott Robinson and I was no like you're grabbing onto each other because we know if this goes in we've won the cap that's what we're saying like if this goes in and then bang Danny scores and everyone jumps up going mad and then it was just like from that moment I think we knew we were going to win the cup it's funny you say um, Danny Granger there um, because, and, and we talked about penalties earlier on because Hearts that season missed. I mean, Craig Beatty obviously scored the semi final, but Hearts in the league were horrendous with penalties. They went through so many penalty takers, and it was the left back. And I remember I was at the game, and I remember kind of thinking, why is Danny Granger taking a penalty? What's he, what's he doing? This is a massive moment. But right enough, you like you say, he scores it, you know, and then and then that's it, game over, and history is made. Yeah, like as I said, when that goes in, everyone's going mad. We're like, oh yes, I'm, I'm thinking of the bonus, you know, because I'm never getting on the pitch. And then it was just like, oh, this is, and then we start. You see the Hibs fans start leaving, and then as when when Rudy scores the fifth as well, like Rudy's goals, like I actually it was on the TV the other night. I watched it, like bits of it, and I just remember Rudy's goals were. They're so they sum Rudy Scatchel up. Honestly, this guy was incredible. He'd shoot. He's the, the best left foot I've ever played with. Laziest player I've ever trained with, but the best left foot was, inc- and then his two goals. One's a massive deflection, and the fifth one's just a shank that kind of rolls into the corner. Like you see it when you watch it back. Nobody really celebrates the way they shoot because they just know. And, and then, like as I said, the full time whistle goes on, and even that you see the full time. No, like see when teams win cups, they come running on the pitch. But it was like, what? It was kind of sort of half hearted a bit because oh, we knew like it was over. Like the game was over in fifty minutes, but then. Like the other thing I remember is Paolo Sergio says that he says they've got five minutes to go and he's like oh, you, if you come on you get bigger bonus and we're like like me and boy Scott Ramos yeah yeah we do he's like alright okay and he's like okay pum like boy Scott Ramos says you get Eddie my friend because you had one sub left and you get Eddie and he brings uh, he brings him on <laughs> to get to get him the, the extra money in the bonus oh, brilliant we summed him up like Paolo was a really really nice guy top top manager you know, so but now that then then the aftermath of that was was incredible. The dressing room, you know, just it was more the celebrations were on the pitch, but in the dressing room it was just mayhem as well. And obviously, you've got the day the day after to look forward to. Um, I, I actually, I, I, it's my probably one of my biggest regrets in life. I, I 
I well, obviously I was visiting family in Edinburgh and went to the game and, and I left on the Sunday morning and I got the bus the first bus the first bus back to Inverness and I booked it months before eh, weeks before because I was worried in case they won it so I had to escape quickly so I missed the, the victory uh, parade afterwards but you were obviously front and centre and on the bus uh, going through um, Edinburgh the celebrations afterwards I, I think I've heard stories about guys ending up at, at Lockie's uh, and, his, and his pub where he stays yeah. and you know all these kind of stuff how, how was the celebrations after that uh, cup final win yeah so like the, the day after we had made arranged like people like we, when we'd won the cup we went back to the, the Gorgie Street Tyne Castle and I've never seen anything like it that's when I realised like there's the question if you question the size of that club that it was we were coming back from Glasgow on a Saturday almost a Sunday I can't even remember when the final was Saturday yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how good it was you know <laughs> but then we were coming back and then just as you come to Edinburgh it was just mobbed fans on the bridges Driving up to Gorgie to back to Tynecastle, the streets were mobbed. Like I'm not not a couple of hundred, I'm talking thousands and thousands of people. We get to Gorgie, and then we're told by the police, "Listen, you've got to stay in the stadium." Because me and Jamie McDonald didn't realise at the time that the bar, because Romano was at the final, and then he had left, but he'd left at the, at the full time basically, and back to Cowness or something. He had something to do, so he left. But the bar at Tynecastle at the stadium was a free bar but at the time we didn't know that so we tried to go and get money but the police would not let us out on the street it was like you cannot go out there and as you come I don't know like the old Tynecastle another stand yeah, yeah, the, the old stand. stand so yeah like the barriers were just as you turn into the stadium there and there was just hundreds of thousands of people sort of there singing and that and so then obviously when we get in we realise the bar is free so it was just like everyone was just going mental then and then it goes into the Sunday and then on the Sunday, we're, we're meeting up and we're going around the parade. So we get the bus from Tynecastle all the way up to where the the, the city chambers, mm-hmm. up in the Royal Mile. Royal Mile, yeah. So we go there, but just from there, we go in there and there's like a silver reception thing and all that stuff. And then, but like I said, boys were still, boys were steaming, boys were still steaming. Just people like, I mean, um, Rudy had like a, a, blue, a red, and, like a maroon and white wig on, like a big, like sort of afro thing. In the middle of a suit, civic reception thing, Zalius just got his Sambero, boy Gary Glenn's got a, like his tie tied round his head, and this, this is the, the, the guy in the, whoever it is of Edinburgh, like the, the councillor guy, he's trying to give a speech. Every time he said something about his winning, we're just cheering and all that. It was, you know, the poor guy was just trying to be like sort of professional, but then that wasn't the case. And then we went out onto the Royal Mile on the bus, where we weren't allowed to drink on the bus, that was the other thing. So the guy's telling us that a piece of saying, no drinking on the bus. So we're right. So obviously, boys are filling up like Lucasade bottles with like drink, and the supporters are just lining down the Royal Mile, and they're set at the time. I think they said there was about four hundred thousand like mm-hmm. fans, and it was just from the Royal Mile all the way back down to the to the stadium. It was just maroon, and then there was three fairs, a couple of Hibs fans that were shouting things at the window. But they were as soon as they were shouting things, boys are like all the Hearts fans are just lobbing like bottles to the boys' windows and that. <laughs> and then the fans started lobbing like trying to chuck beer bottles up to us as well because we weren't allowed drinking. Brilliant. So like, there's like people hanging over the bus, like grabbing legs, trying to grab what the fans are trying to hand them and all that. But that 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 whole sort of like I've got photos that I still have on my laptop and I kept them because like as you said it's one of those moments that it will live with me forever and like trying to to make people understand that it was it was incredible and you know so like at that time as well just it was it was absolutely it was tremendous it was so so good. Now like I said I could probably sit here and talk all night about that uh, cup final so I promise this will be the last question you you mentioned him a couple of times there. I think he actually, I want to say, was it this game? 
or was it probably the game before? It might have been a previous cup final, but I'm sure he attended it with um, Russian submariners and uh, members of the Russian Navy. But Vladimir Romanov um, was obviously front and centre at the time at Hearts. Any dealings with uh, the man himself? Ah, oh, yeah. Many, many dealings. What's, what's he like? Be, you think he'd be front and centre, you know? Yeah, because of what happened. But no, he was. It was crazy. Like at Christmas, he turned up and gave everyone a. You know the Russian dolls? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he turns up at Christmas and gives the, all of us a little Russian doll. And Michael Stewart at the time's there. And he's, my, my, Michael's the captain at the time. He's like, through the interpreter. Like, this is the other thing as well. Like, Zaliukas, he used to speak Russian, not to us. Zaliukas and I could speak Russian. And he'd tell us things. But then Zal would say when he'd left, like, and the interpreter would say, he'd always start with Mr. Romanov says, Mr. Romanov says. But what he was telling us was completely opposite or completely like a sort of a shallow down version of what he was saying. Yeah. Like when we were with Jim Jeffries, we went a game, we think we won 11, 12 in a row or something, or 12 unbeaten, then we lost one game to Kilmarnock. And he turned up out of the blue and was telling us we're not getting our wages and we're not giving, because that's not good enough. And you're just like, what, but he was going mad, he was ranting and raving, but the interpreter was just like poor c- calm, so you know, that we expect better from, to be able to perform and play, because we'd beaten Celtic, and then I don't remember when um, Ian Black actually had scored a winner at Ibrox, mm-hmm. and then it was just like, what's going on here, but yeah, he was, he was uh, honestly, I some, some guy, like I said, anything in football now that I go through, like I just, I can just sort of 
it's, it's nothing to whatever like, like whatever I can, when I was at Hearts it was just it was absolutely mayhem ah, you've, you've lived through Romanov so you can pretty much live through yeah. anything else um, you, obviously the Hearts uh, the way that the, the club was operating at the time you know as we know there was a lot of financial problems behind the scenes and you leave the club 2014 um, you go and join St Mirren I think you, you go on loan at Kilmarnock at one point as well I want to talk to you about it was interesting where last week we had uh, Nick Ross on and we spoke yeah. to Nick Ross about you know the American experience you go over and join Orlando City um, and, and you go over and uh, and, and play in America um, what was that experience like playing over there um, Nick described it as something that he wanted to do yourself is that something that you can you're proud to look back on and say that you've you played somewhere else other than Scotland. Yeah, because when I was there, when I was started playing football, you know, and then the more you get into it, and then you see like all these leagues abroad and stuff. So I thought, you know, I'd love to get the opportunity to play, and then it came along, like you said. So, and then when I heard straight away, like Orlando City, you know, you just everyone knows what Orlando's like, don't they? So I was, it was a no-brainer, and then it was just one of those like when I went over there, the whole sort of how they do things is completely different to how they do things here. You know, in terms of just like competitiveness, it's a competitive league, but it's not like over here. Like if they lost, you know, they weren't like the fans and that were still like, oh, it's okay, man, oh, you're going to win the next game kind of thing or oh, keep your head up kind of thing. So they're really like like American and it was quite a new thing because the, the team I had played for obviously was the, the USL feeder team to the MLS, the Orlando City yeah. team who had only been in the MLS for a few years. So they were basically new. So it was that, like that experience just to be able to like, go and play over there and travel around America as well was incredible. But it was just like one or two things weren't right. Because I think what Orlando City had done as a franchise, they rushed. Like they tried to get there quickly. Because when I was there, they were, they were trying to build a new stadium. They were trying to build a new training ground. But then that never went like that. The training ground's still not built now. But the stadium is. But the stadium was then built like a ridiculous amount of dollars over than what they budgeted for. So, you know, I think they kind of, like, the owner was a Brazilian, and obviously at the time when they brought over it, like, Kaká, and then, then they ended up with Julio Batista while I was there, and then, like, Nocturino had joined as well. So there were so many different, like, sort of things that they were they were lagging behind other MLS teams. So that kind of made my whole experience a little bit sort of... It was good in that way, but it was also a bit like you questioned quite a lot of things of like what they were saying was possible and stuff. So you you probably um, yeah a bit like um, a bit like the Hearts experience, you know, a bit of a you know crazy behind the scenes as well. You mentioned it's interesting there. You obviously talked about a, a real class act that you played with in Rudy Scatcho, but but talk to us about Kaka um, because he is well was considered at one point one of the world's best footballers. Yeah, I know. Like it was, it was, it was surreal in the way that, like, so when I first arrived at Orlando, I got a flight. It was in February, so I got a flight from Glasgow, I think it was, and then it was um, a landed, and the person from Orlando picked. No, it's from London. Yeah. So then the person from Orlando picks me up, and then straight away we drive to the to the training ground, and the training grounds it's like a wee, it's like a youth centre building, and like a Lake Seminole, it's called, and then even like that alone, like it wasn't really like professional enough if you know like coming back from some of the clubs in Scotland that had better facilities at the time okay so I arrive and then you've got like the, the double door and then the first person I see in front of me was, was Kaka I was out on the phone and you know and I was like to the guy I was like that's Kaka isn't it and the, guy, the, the woman's like yeah yeah and then like, well they ended up calling him Ricky so it was that but yeah like being in and around him and as a per you don't know what to expect because like 
I've been with you know many been around big players and I've been nothing to the like every single day, nearly every day, we're training, and there'd be cameras there. There'd be journalists from all around the world there for him. He's doing interviews. He's doing like photo shoots for like like the weird thing, like Orlando City, the protein shakes and all that the players take. Yeah, they were all drinking ones with his face on it. <laughs> so he, it was his. Then when you go in the physio room, there was like a recovery pants and there was like ice baths and. But he he had bought them for the them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So it was just like it was such a surreal. But as a person as well, you don't know what to expect from people like that because I've been across like many players in Scotland as well, and some of them, you know, big players at clubs that are very arrogant. But he he was completely the opposite in terms of like he wasn't arrogant. He was. <laughs> it's hard to put it, but he was. You wouldn't if you didn't know him and you'd seen him, you think he's a bit strange. Because he used to make all these weird noises and stuff, and you know, like he was. Sometimes he'd be really bubbly, and the next time, like he'd come in and his, like his, you'd think he'd probably, but his hair was all over the place. Like he'd just woken up in the car or something. It was, he was, it was, he was really, really, as a, as a, as a person, like you just thought, nah. But when he went on the football f- and in the, like the field, the train, the guy was, he literally was untouchable. But not for the fact how good he was there. It's the fact that nobody would want to challenge him. Nobody wanted to go near him. Because if you hurt him and he missed the game, Ooh. the club were like the the club were going to like it was like thirty to thirty five percent revenue of people were just there to see him. Yeah, I remember at the time, boy Seb Hines used to be at Middlesbrough. Yeah, he was there and he was like he was English and so I kind of like we had the same agent at the time. So I kind of like the people that had the same agents because it was through the agency I got there. We were just chatting and he would say the same. He's like, watch. He's like, nobody go near him. Nobody want to challenge him. And you see it, but he would ghost past players like he would back in the day anyway. You know, and then it was like. It was crazy, but he was as a person. To the, he was he was actually he was helpful as well. You know, he, he talked to like our boys were some of our players were obviously younger and inexperienced wise. Because the, the team I was playing for the B team, so how it worked was some of us would train with the first team, and then some of us wouldn't. Like we trained on our own team, and then I actually at the time I had two goalkeepers. There was a Stuart Kerr, mind Stuart Kerr. Yeah, the ex Celtic goal. Yeah, yeah. So he was a goalie coach for the MLS. Okay. Okay. And then I had a Portuguese boy, Paulo Grillo. He was my coach for the Orlando B team. So sometimes I would train with Stuart with the first team boys when they needed it or not. Because I was, it was weird, I was registered, I, I could play the MLS, but as a foreign player, so that's why my contract, because like, the, the MLS is, and the USL, like, the contracts are so complicated if you don't understand it. And even I don't really understand what was going on, but... But, like, all of that, so, yeah, it was, like, so many... But he would, like, Kaka would watch us train and then, like, talk to some of the younger boys and ask them and stuff but obviously he was coming to the end of his career and stuff but it got to a point where you actually forget that you were sitting like we would sit at breakfast and you'd come and sit at the same table that you're sitting next to a guy who was ridiculously good you know Ballon d'Or World Player of the Year and stuff so yeah incredible yeah it was the, the, the American um, experience comes to an end and you're back in Scotland um you you played uh, you were you were with Partick Thistle for a couple of months, and then you're um, you find yourself uh, looking for a club summer of two thousand and seventeen, uh, and your old uh, your old manager John Robertson picks up the phone uh, and asks you to come back to Cali Thistle. What's uh, what's the chat with John? Yes, it's, it was so when I go back, I say say when Partick, and then I come back out ten minutes after Partick, and then 
I'd actually, I talked to it's funny I was going to sign for Livingston I spoke to Livingston okay. I sort of said right okay and then me and uh, me and the wife were about to go to Amsterdam and then we're sitting at the, the dinner table because when we came back to Scotland like back up to Inverness to settle to see before what was going we were staying with her mum and dad and then the phone goes and it's John Robertson and I'm like because I've not spoken to him for a while so I put the phone up and I thought he was going to ask me anything so he says to me he says like oh, big man how you getting on blah 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 and then I was like yeah it's he says, what's your plans this season? And then I, I was like, oh, I've spoke to a few teams, but, you know, like, I think I'm maybe going to sign for Livingston. Like, and he's like, no, nah, no, you're not. You're going to come play for me. And I was like, because, you know, I'm like, what, what are you talking about? He says, he says, you can't tell anyone, don't tell anyone. He says, tomorrow, I'm going to be announced as a Cali manager. And I'm, you know, in my head, I'm like, Mate, you've not been in the game for years. What are you talking How is that possible? So then he says, I'm getting a Cali job. I spoke to them and he says, you're as surprised as I am. He says, I didn't, I think he said, they, they didn't say I didn't apply for it or something like that. And he says, I got asked to come and have a chat with someone. And he says, anyway, he says, I want you to come sign for me. And he tells me the circumstances. Because initially when I first got in there, he was like, I don't know my full budget, whatever it was. I've got players there that, that you know, want to leave. And he's like, but still, would you come? And so I said, I'm going to, I'm going on holiday for a, for a, f- a week or whatever, a few days in Amsterdam when I get back. She says, all right, no, no, go and enjoy it. Because he knows Emma as well. She's like, go and enjoy it. Yeah. She says, give me, give me a call when you get back. So, lo and behold, I get back. I go to the stadium and I meet him. Because the weird thing is, when I'm in Amsterdam, I was, like, when I got off the phone, I was saying to Emma and her dad and that, because Pierre's always into football and that as well. So I asked John Robertson to tell me he's going to get a Cali job. And then straight away, they're like, what? Like, Robo? And I'm like, yeah. And so then we're in Amsterdam. I wake up in the morning and then I'm thinking, nah, he, he must have been on the wine or something. So I then sort of waiting and I looked at my phone looked at my phone and all of a sudden one of my pals who's a Cali fan texted me like John Overson your manager question marks and that was it I went on Twitter and went on the old uh, social media stuff and that and that was it and I seen it so I thought oh, fair enough got back went and met him talked to him like, like everything that he said and was more than happy to go because you know it was like for less money and everything than what I was going to get at Livingston but it's just the fact to be able to work with him again and obviously coming back home as well was, was a factor to that yeah we've um We've spoke to a few people on the podcast, uh, and John Robertson's name's come up. Michael Fraser, obviously a fellow goalkeeper uh, like yourselves, talked uh, extremely highly of of Robbo um, and and working with him. Barry Wilson, who we are on, I mean, obviously now is is a coach under Robbo, but played under him as well. Um, and you know, he's talked about the Ro- the Robbo factor. Um, what, what's what's it like working for Robbo? What what, what um, makes him such? I mean, he, he appears uh, like a very good man manager. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well. It's man management. He's one of those people. See if yeah, if you do things for him, he'll do things for you. You know, he's that he's that kind of manager. He's really open. You know, he's not a manager that like I've played under many managers. He's not one that distances himself from the players. You know, he's as I said, like he's he's there to if you want to talk to him and that kind of thing. But he's one of those managers that if if things are going like if you do what he's asking to you, he'll give the favor back to the players. And I think some people obviously. You know, might not appreciate that, or might not understand that if they've not worked with other managers. Because, like I said, I'm one of those guys that's worked with many managers, especially as you go back to the time of Hearts. You know, I had like nine managers in the time <laughs> I was there, and that's one season. So, yeah, but no, like if, if things are, you know, if you're doing what he's asking to you, then you, he's a great, great guy to be around. Like you said, he can get boys going. He doesn't ask too much of players as well, which I think is really, really key. You know, he's not telling players to do this and that. 
it's just more or less the way he is as a person as well. So I think he's very honest. I think when you see that in his interviews and stuff as well, sometimes I think as a manager he can be too honest. You know, I think sometimes he keeps his cards to his chest because you know he's like, if we're having a bad performance and that, you know, when he comes out to the press and that. But that's just the way he is. You know, he wants that. He wants honesty and stuff. But no, he's, he's, he, as what you can see as well, like each year at Carly with the resources that he's got. He's, he's, he's bringing players out of the unknown, including myself. Really, you know, it took time for me to get going. It took time for a lot of the boys that are at the club to get going again. But we seem to have found our feet now and performing to a, to a level where we're trying to, you know, get back to the Premier League. And yes, ideally we would like to have done it sooner. But I think just the way things have been, you know, with players coming in and out of the door and stuff. It's, it's you know, you've got to give the manager credit for for sort of finding these players and giving them a new lease of life. It's funny when you you, you say that about. Um... I mean, I, well, I was working for Cali this at the time, and I, I remember when there was kind of rumours that, that Robbo was coming about, and you know, the, well, for me, for me, for me, for me, I'm a, I'm a little bit biased because I grew up as a, uh, you know, worshiping John Robertson and the, the amount of goals he scored against the uh, Hibernian, so I was obviously thinking, well, this should be brilliant, you know, but there were a lot of people that were thinking, you know, okay, he's not been in the while, the, the job for a while, or, or or a job for a while, sorry, but when you you look at the the job he's done over the last, I mean, well. Two and a half seasons, he's got Cali Thistle. Um, he's had a trophy in the in the Iron Brew Cup. Obviously, last weekend, um, the the club reached another final, which was called off due to the uh, the, the league being stopped due to the coronavirus. I mean, who knows? That could have been a, another trophy in the bag. And he's got them reaching the playoffs. And up until the the the, the stop. In football, they were up to second. So, I mean, he's done a fantastic job. And I think you mentioned there as well, the, the resources at the football club. But he just seems to have, get the get the best out of, of what he has. Yeah, like, and I think that's a big thing for him as well. Like, he knows that he can get, like I said, if he, he, gives, boys, he gives boys responsibility. And he lets them get on with their own thing in the dressing room and stuff. He, like, we police our own dressing room and that. But I think the big thing as well is that, like, what... In terms of what, as a team, we've achieved, you know, it's obviously like down to him as well because he's brought these players in. He's got us working the way that he wants. Because it is that. If you don't work the way he wants to work, you don't play. And I think that's the thing as well. But we're, we're, we're now at that stage as a team where we're just kind of gelling. January was quite disappointing when we lost the two centre-halves and Colin Jama. But, you know, that's just the way the club are. And that's if, you know, if people want to move on to sort of the, the premiership as it is. You know, but he can't do anything about that, and he's trusted the boys that are there. Yes, we bring, we brought Tosh in, but you know that as a as a manager to trust the squad that he's got. Because when you see when you look at our squad, we don't have a big squad. We've got possibly 16 first team players. Mm-hmm. And then you've got like the likes of Roddy McGregor, Cami Harper. You know, like guys like that as well coming on on the fringes. But we're you know we're trying to compete in a 36, possibly more games in a league with, with around about 16 bodies so we have to sort of keep, try and keep everyone fit and his squad like as you said the man management of players is, is brilliant and that's the reason where we're why we're doing you know as well like the thing is you take away like Dundee United been doing very well kind of takes a shine off of how well we've done this year as well that's in my opinion yeah I think I think you're right um, I think that you look at the, the likes of Dundee and Ayr up until the, when the season was called off, I mean, it's always been Cali Thistle leading the way uh, after Dundee United. Uh, Dundee and Ayr have had a few 
okay, you know, Calithis off a couple of defeats along the way as well. I think the Arbroath one was a bit of a sore one away and things like that. But when you look at Dundee and Aira for a f- far more blips than than Cali Thistle have, and if United weren't there, and the same goes last season as well, you know, because Cali Thistle played some fantastic football last season, and it's funny, I've spoke to a few, you know, Ross County players, and last season Cali Thistle pretty much played them off the park in most of the games, but just couldn't get the better of them. It was the penalty shooter one in the Scottish Cup that they, they won, but they, they just couldn't get the better of them in the league. And you're right, I think, you know, Cali Thistle perhaps haven't had the credit they've deserved this season. Yeah, like they're not, like you said, when we play well, like we, we, we know ourselves that we should be further away from the team below us, maybe closer to Dan United. But when Dan United won that 10, 11 games in a row, for me, that was it. That's when they, because to do that in the league that we're in is brilliant. Because, like you said, our both game and the other games, like the Alawa games and stuff, when we've had bad results, we've always bounced back with maybe two, three wins or. So we've got that in our squad, but. It's the consistency of being inconsistent that's kind of cost us a little bit. And but mm-hmm. you said you never know what's going to happen now. But as you said, obviously, going back to last year as well, it was the draws that killed us last year. But this year, we've kind of not drawn, but we're losing games as well, where we possibly a couple of draws might you know help us. So it's 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 just the way things are, really. And we just have to, if we get the opportunity, to keep pushing, you know, to try and get ourselves up there and you know back to the Premier League. So. But, as I said, obviously at the moment, we don't know what's going on. Of course, um, and who knows what uh, the future uh, lies ahead for, for everyone and, and indeed you know football as well. But no doubt, once uh, once we all get sorted and, and out the other side of this, then we'll, we'll be a lot uh, clearer. But as I say, Mark, um, all the best for the, the, the couple of months ahead and hopefully we'll get football uh, back underway. But thanks for your time uh, and joining us on the podcast. It's been uh, brilliant and especially the... Reliving the 2012 Scottish Cup final. I don't need any more excuses. I've watched it twice uh, in, in two weeks of self-isolation. So hearing about it for a third time will do me. Uh, but thanks for your time and uh, stay no, safe uh, Stay safe in quarantine. Yes, you too. Yeah. Thanks for your time. Thank you for listening to Highland Football Weekly. Before you go, one small favour. If you wouldn't mind telling a friend about this podcast, a friend who would like football and, of course, football in the Highlands, If you're on social media, please like and share. And if you're on iTunes, please leave a comment as well. Just realise that's more than one small favour, but you get the gist. See you next week.